do with their lives, right? And man, if we, can, uh, if, if we could get that, I think they would get it even better, right? And if we'd have that same attitude. Well, take your Bibles this morning, if you will, to, and turn to Romans chapter 16. I've preached some hard messages over the last few weeks and, and even over the last few months, and I don't apologize for that. Uh, it's what you need, it's what I need, and I believe that's what the majority of you want. Uh, I believe that, that uh, for the most part, and, and I think this is where the church in America, the churches in America have made such a huge mistake, is that they've, they've treated the Word of God with kid gloves and watered it down and tried to soften the blow from the Word of God. And I'm not saying, you know, we can, we can uh, give the truth in a... In a uh, uh, we can make the truth palatable, I, I guess you, you, I, I could say. Um, but what's happened is that Christianity has been getting weaker and weaker. And as Christianity has gotten weaker, the preaching has gotten weaker. And the weaker the preaching gets, the weaker the Christians get. And so they can't handle the strong preaching anymore. When in actuality, I think if, if, you, if, if, if pastors would just preach, sometimes hard, but just preach what the Word of God says and preach the truth, that's what people want. They just need to be shown what the Bible says, and most people want to do it. And I believe that that's where we're at in our church, and that's why I do preach hard messages. I, you can handle it, I, I believe, for the most part. But I have a message this morning that I hope will be more of an encouragement to you. We're going to read a little bit longer passage than normal this morning because I want to make a point about what's actually in the, this whole chapter. So to just pick and choose... Uh, I can't really do that. So I, I want to read this entire chapter this morning, and I know that's, that's a lot more than we normally read, uh, but let's jump right in there in verse number one of Romans chapter 16. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria, that ye receive her, receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also." Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Eponidas, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen. And my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my brother, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Trafina. And Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Esencritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. Salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. 
for your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Timotheus, my workfellow, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. And Quartus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Probably butchered some of those names, but you don't know what it's supposed to sound like either. So uh, we just make it through there. And, and what, But this, this is a chapter that's really different from any other chapter in the Bible. Uh, about half of it is personal greetings and messages. And, you know, that's how Paul concludes a lot of his letters. But the difference in Romans is that the list is a whole lot longer than usual. Uh, he, he mentions a lot of names at the end of his, of his books and things like that, but not, not a whole chapter for the most part. But he asks the Roman Christians to greet 26 individuals, most of whom he had never met. Uh, three churches that were meeting in homes, he asked them to be greeted. But he seems to know a lot of people that were living in Rome. And I think one of the reasons why is uh, he had never been to Rome before, but it's not surprising because a lot of those Christians that were now living in Rome had been exiled in other places. There was a lot of persecution. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of upheaval amongst the church because of the way that they were being persecuted. But that's how Paul came to know Priscilla and Aquila. Many times we treat these personal greeting sections like we treat the, uh, the begats in the Old Testament. right? We just kind of skim over the top of them and this person begat this person and this person begat this person. And, and, and that's, uh, but there's something that we can learn from this list of names if we give it some thought. The people that, that we see there in, in, uh, in these verses, really verses 1 through 15, some of the other ones that were mentioned there at the end, but verse 1 through 15, the, those names that we mentioned there, they're just, they're just average, ordinary people. They were not pastors. They were not missionaries. They were not necessarily fellow servants of Paul as, as far as being with them and traveling in his journeys and everything else. And yet today, 20 centuries later, we're still reading and remembering their names. This group of people came from all walks of life. They came from a variety of ethnic backgrounds. They came, from, they came from across all the socioeconomic spectrum, but there was something special about each one of these that caused their names to be included in the best-selling book of all time. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great to have your name in a book like that? But what, what made these people special? What made them stick out to Paul? Just common, average, ordinary people serving the Lord in their church that Paul felt like he had to mention them. When we read Romans 16, we read more than just a list of greetings. We read more than just a list of names. In this chapter, we see that God has a purpose for each one of us, the same way he had a purpose for each one of them. So this morning, I want you to realize that God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. I want to look at three key points from this chapter and, and, and I want you to consider this idea. What makes you extraordinary? What makes you extraordinary? Let's pray, and we'll look at a few things in this passage this morning. Father, we love you. Can we thank you for your goodness to us? 
Thank you for this group of people that you brought together, some that are not able to be here this morning for, for different reasons. I know some that are going through difficulty. I know especially Miss Barbara is really dealing with a lot of things health-wise. I pray that you would uh, help her to get through those things, that you'd heal her, God, and, and so many others that we have on our prayer list that have already been prayed for and mentioned this morning. But God, I pray that you'd use the message in our hearts to help encourage us to continue doing what we can for the cause of Jesus Christ with the time that we have left. Well, thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see is this. God is able to use you. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you do, God is able to use you. There are all kinds of people listed in verse number uh, 1 through 15. And there's 26 names in all. And I, and I think it's significant to note that no less than six of them are women. Did I spell that wrong? Yeah, God is able to us you. It's supposed to be used. I saw it in my notes, and I'm like, wait a second. I, I spelled that wrong in here, and I copied it off of that. So it's not us, you. It's use you. God's able to use you, however, uh, uh, whoever you are, wherever you are, and whatever you do. But I think it's pretty significant to, to, to see that there are no less than six women that are listed in this, in this list here. In fact, Romans, Romans 16 really presents a bit of a problem for some scholars because Paul uses terms in reference to women that you would not expect him to use. Uh, Phoebe, we see that in verse number one and two. He says, uh, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea. Now, the, the, the Greek there, that word servant is the word deaconess. And, and again, it's clear from the New Testament, there was an order of women in the church known as deaconesses. And, uh, and you have to remember that the culture in which this letter was written, you have to remember that the role uh, uh, that women played in society in first century Rome was nothing like what we see it being today. It wasn't built on the idea of quality. Women did not have the same rights or the same status as men did. How is it then that Paul referred to her as a servant? Well, reference is made all the way throughout the, the, the New Testament to a class of ladies whose duty it was to teach other ladies and to take general superintendence of that part of the church, right? Now, oh, you have, the, you have Philip, and Philip had four daughters that prophesied. And, oh, see, this is a perfect example to say that women could teach men. They prophesied. God used them in a great way. But, but I don't think the Bible's saying that at all. Number one, the Bible's not going to go against itself when it says that a woman should not usurp authority over man. But you see also that Paul was staying there with Philip with these four deaconesses, and yet Paul brought in another prophet to come in and talk to Paul himself. God, why didn't God use those four deaconesses if they were to give Paul what he was supposed to know. And I'm not, I'm not, this is not a message on, on uh, women preachers or anything like that. I'm pointing out the fact that God used women in this, in this way. And, 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 and Paul points them out in this passage. They appear to have been uh, commonly aged and experienced widows who had a great reputation amongst those that were there in the churches, and, and they were suited to guide and instruct those who were young and inexperienced. And we see passages all the way throughout the New Testament that instruct the older, the older ladies to teach the younger ladies and to help them be established in the faith, if you will. We see another one in verse number 7. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Now, in other words, uh, uh, it says at the end of that verse, or in the middle of that verse, who are of note among the apostles. In other words, who's respected among the apostles. There's a debate about that phrase, because in the original Greek, it suggests 
that being among, in other words, they were one of the apostles. Some scholars have said, no, this must mean that they're respected by the apostles. And I, it's, it's, I'm not going to get into the argument of, of whether some people think that Junia was not even a woman's name. It could, it could be either. They think that maybe Junia was a, a, you know, a brother or a, a, some other kind of fellow laborer with Andronicus. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get into a debate about, that thing, about these things this morning, but it makes for an interesting debate uh, because... What's most important about these references is not that, you know, the title that they imply, deaconess or, or apostle or whatever else, but the actions that they describe. The word deacon means servant. And that word servant can apply to any Christian, whether they hold that office or not. In fact, I've known a number of deacons in my life in churches who held that title, but were not very deacony, right? They, weren't, they didn't serve the way that a deacon should serve. And then there's been other people who were in the church who didn't hold the title of deacon, who were servants of Jesus Christ, who were just willing to be used however God wanted them to be, however God wanted to use them. That word apostle means messenger or commissioned missionary. And we use the, that term to describe Peter and Paul and John and, uh, and others, but it also describes an action. It describes something you do. The point is that we don't need to get caught up in the debate about titles. We need to get involved in some kind of service for the Lord. And that's one of these things that these common, ordinary people, God pointed them out in Romans chapter 16 through the Apostle Paul because they were willing to serve. They were willing to be commissioned. They were willing to be messengers for the cause of Jesus Christ. What we see in this list is that God can use anyone. Paul listed 26 people specifically by name. He says that Phoebe is a servant of the church, worthy of high honor. He says that she has been a succorer of many, a helper to many, and even to Paul himself. What Paul is saying is that she helped many in their needs, including him. He mentions Aquila and Priscilla, a married couple that we read about in the book of Acts. They, they were tent makers like Paul, and they were devoted to getting the message of the gospel out and to serving others, even to the point of putting their own lives at risk. Paul said they stuck their necks out. They put their necks on the line for, for my sake and for the sake of the gospel. They had a church that was meeting in their home. As we mentioned already, he talks about Andronicus and Junia, possibly another married couple. They were missionaries, right? He mentions a woman named Mary in verse number six. Greet Mary who bestowed much labor on us. Uh, uh, Rufus in verse 13, he says, has been a mother to me. Paul mentions the members of the household of Aristobulus in verse 10, the Christians in the household of Narcissus in verse 11. Some have said that he was referring to slaves that worked for these men. Maybe, maybe not. But either way, this is just a group of common, ordinary Christians who have a heart to serve the Lord. And they were serving the Lord where God put them and how God wanted them to serve. Didn't matter if they were slaves. It didn't matter if they were women. It didn't matter if they were men. Didn't matter if they were married. It didn't matter if they were unmarried. God used them in a great way. There's also a personal note from Tertius, the one who transcribed Paul's letter as he dictated it. And even he said, hey, I mean, look, God was using Tertius as well, even just as a transcriber. But here's my point. In, in the church, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what kind of background you have or what limitations society may try to put on you. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Your contribution to the kingdom of God makes a difference. Well, I've heard people say, well, all I do is prepare snacks for the Sunday school or for the kids. There's not much to that. There may not be much to it, but it makes a difference. Oh, well, well, all I do is help the church with some cleaning here and there. And uh, 
It may be small to you, but it makes a big difference. Well, all I do is sing some songs each week at, at the nursing home, and, and that's not so much. All I do is give 10% of my tithe, and I don't, I don't make very much, so 10% is not very much. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. It makes a di- God's able to use you in all of these ways. It's what makes you extraordinary. Be at church when we have services. Be available for God to use you and to serve when the need arises. Be sensitive to God's leading in witnessing. It may seem small to you, but it makes a huge difference to God. And it makes a huge difference to me. If nobody in this church were willing to serve in the small ways, nothing would get done. Nothing would be accomplished. You want to even be more extraordinary than make this your prayer. God, use me more. I'm, I'm willing to, to, to be used how I'm being used now, but God, use me more. Where else can I jump in? Where else can I get involved? What else can I do? Give me more and more opportunities to serve you by serving others. On July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. And uh, I was not alive then, but I've seen videos of it. Some of you were, and you saw it happen live. But he was the focus of the attention of the entire planet. And he stepped out onto the moon and he said, one small step for man. And that's what he's going to be remembered for. By the way, this is not, what, this is not where I'm going with this story. But uh, um, when we were in Israel, our guide told us that Neil Armstrong had actually been at the southern steps, which we'll talk about when we get to Jerusalem. Um, and that's a place where Jesus taught and taught often. And the original s- stones are still there. And so as he was walking up there doing a tour with whoever guide he was with, Neil Armstrong turned to his guide and he said, is, is this a place where Jesus would actually have walked? And the guide said, I can't say this about a lot of places because we don't know for sure, but he said, we know for sure this is a place where Jesus would have been and, and would have been many times. And he would have sat here and taught and the people would have been standing here and listening and everything else. And Neil Armstrong said, you know what? It is more of an honor for me to stand here on these very steps where Jesus stood than it was for me to take that first step on the moon. But that's what he was known for, one small step for man. He's going to be remembered for that for generations and still is. But uh, what often isn't remembered is the fact that the Apollo expedition took place because of a very large, committed team of individuals. Neil Armstrong was one man. Obviously, there was a couple of other astronauts that were up there with him that day. But Neil Armstrong was one of only 218,000 people that worked on getting that Apollo mission to the moon. Now, he gets all the credit for it because he's the one that took that step and said it's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. But there was at least 217,999 other people that made that mission possible. Big ways, small ways, but they helped make history. In the Super Bowl in 2008, the camera zeroed in on, a, on, an, on an elderly man that was standing on the giant sideline, and Joe Buck was uh, announcing, I, I don't know the man's name, but Joe Buck mentioned that this man had served as the trainer for the Giants organization for 60 years. For 60 years, this man uh, had been taping up players and nursing their wounds and picking up after them and all the other things that trainers do, and his contributions made a difference. The Giants won the Super Bowl in 2008, and he was just as much and maybe in some ways even more responsible for what happened with that team than a lot of other people were. I don't know his name, a lot, and, and I don't know if his name was ever even mentioned. Maybe I'm sure it probably was, 
but he made a difference. And it might seem small, it might seem insignificant, but God is able to use you in the same way, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you do. So I want to encourage you this morning to seek out opportunities to serve others in the name of Jesus Christ. It's what makes you extraordinary. The second thing is this, and we, we turn back to Romans chapter 16. God is able to work his power through you. We forget sometimes that we're engaged in a battle. But if we read the Bible, we know who the enemy is and what the enemy does. But we see this in verse number 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Keep, your, keep a bookmark or something there in Romans chapter 16. We're coming back to that. But we forget sometimes that we're in a battle. And that the, that the devil is, is going to try to do all kinds of different things to subvert what's going on in God's church. But we know who the enemy is. It's not other believers. It's not other people in the church who may not have 100% agreement with you on everything that you think or do or say. But Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12 says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There exists in this world a wicked force that is intent on tripping up Christians, intent on tripping you up, intent on, on, on causing you to fail. He brings temptations into your life and conflicts and difficulties and trials and tribulations. He's the source of your problems. Now, everything that happens, God allows. But the devil is, you look, at, you look in the book of Job and you see what, what, what the devil did to Job. God didn't do those things to him. God allowed those things to happen. But the devil is the one that brought all those trials and tribulations and everything else that happened. And God gave him permission to do it. But I want you to realize this morning that the devil is ultimately a defeated foe. He lost the battle at Calvary, and he's going to lose the war in your life too. Romans chapter 16 and verse 20 says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. We just read that, but that means that the problems you're facing today will eventually be solved. It means that the obstacle standing between you and the life that God wants for you will soon be overcome. It means that you'll triumph over your tribulations. You will endure these difficult days. It's through the power of Jesus Christ, but through his power, Satan is going to be defeated. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've already won the war. The bad thing is, every now and then, we lose a battle. We give in. Satan wins. He defeats us. But he's a defeated foe. The Bible makes that very clear all the way throughout the Bible, but especially there. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. That's encouraging. His future is certain. So is yours, if you know Jesus Christ. But Paul says that Satan will be crushed under your feet. You know what that means? It means that you're the one who's going to be doing the stomping, right? Satan is defeated by God's power at work in and through you. I'm not trying, this is not a, a self-help message. This is not one of those, you know, name it and claim it type things. But, but we have this promise that God will give us the victory over Satan. He will bruise him under our own feet, now, obviously, God is the one who brings the ultimate victory for the saints, but he's going to be bruised under our feet, the Bible says. 
We are going to be the ones that defeat Satan. There have been many times when we face problems and we pray, God, solve this problem for me. Make this go away. Right? His response would be, no, you make it go away. I'll give you the, I'll give you the power. I'll do it through you. I'll work through you, but this enemy has to be crushed under your feet. There's something unique about our, our nation's Joint Chief of Staff Official Dictionary, uh, of the Official Dictionary of Military Terms. The, un the unabridged edition is 482 pages, but it's all the technical military terminology. But you'll find two common words that do not exist in that military dictionary. One of those words is surrender, and the other is retreat. Those two words are not found in that, in that official dictionary of military terms. And I'm not about to get into how that would apply if we would actually apply that in our, in our physical world today. But I am about to get into how this, illustrate, how, how this illustration applies to us. We need to learn a lesson from this dictionary. The word surrender, the word retreat, and especially the word defeat should not be part of our dictionary. We ought not to be backing down. Now listen, the devil is going to come at us hard. And the more you get right with God and the more you try to live for God, the harder he's going to come at you. And the temptation is sometimes to throw your hands up and say, I'm trying, but I just can't do it. It's hard sometimes not to surrender. It's hard sometimes not to retreat. It's hard sometimes not to give in. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We can win. And that's not, uh, again, it's not just this feel-good idea. It's not just this, uh, you know, you go out and live your life how you want to, and God's going to do great things. No, you have to be doing it the way that he wants you to do it. But you do it through him, and you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. That's what he says. God will work his power through you. He'll crush the enemy under your feet. That means you need to put on your boots and get ready to step hard. How do you do that? It means that you get, in, get involved with the problem. You don't run from it. Right? That's, that's what a lot of Christians especially are doing uh, with their problems. A lot of people in the world do that. They run from those problems. They try to get as far away from them as they can. And many people try to drown their problems in the bottom of a bottle. They run to drugs. They run to alcohol. They run to all kinds of other different things looking for that comfort, looking for a way to, to get away from those problems. But you don't wait for God to make everything right. You get busy letting him use you to make those things right the way that he wants to. Right? If you're in a financial crisis, don't expect a check to show up in the mail one day and make your problems disappear. Get out and get busy and let God do it through you. Right? If, you if you're facing health issues, you get involved in the solution. You start doing what needs to be done to improve your health. If you're raising kids that are just not getting it, you don't zone out in front of the TV and ignore them while they run wild. Right? You start taking whatever steps you can to make those relationships right. You start taking whatever steps you can to allow God to use you to raise those children for him. Right? But you say, oh, I'm bankrupt, or I've got cancer, or my kids are out of control. I can't solve this problem by myself. And you're right. You can't solve the problem by yourself. But God will solve those problems through you. He will bruise Satan under your feet, the Bible says. You want to live an extraordinary life, then let God work his power through you. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Don't turn back. Make this your prayer. God, work through me. You're extraordinary because God is able to use you, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you do. God's able to work his power through you. And lastly, turn back over to Romans chapter 16. 
And really, the second point and the third point go hand in hand, but it's this. God is able to make you strong. God is able to make you strong. Verse 25 says this. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. That word establish means strengthen. Now to him that is of power to strengthen you according to my gospel, to establish you. Maybe you don't feel all that established. Maybe you don't feel like you have that strength. Maybe you're more aware of your weaknesses than you are of your strengths. And in a lot of ways, that's good. We need to be humble. We need to be humbled many times. But you see how easy it would be to slip. You know how likely you are to fall. That's good. We have to never forget our own fallibilities. We're not infallible. We will make mistakes. We will do things wrong. But we must not forget God's ability to help us stand. Turn back just a couple pages to Romans chapter 14. It says this in verse number 4. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. We're not to look down on other Christians, but these words apply to us too. Right? God's power can help you do as you should. He can make you strong. He can teach you to stand. When I was in high school, I was on a bus route uh, in, in that, uh, up in the area in, in Indiana where I, was, uh, where I lived. And I used to talk to the driver of the, of the bus about how difficult it is to drive a bus. And I told him, you know, at some point I'd like to obviously get my CDL and learn how to drive a bus so I can help out with it and whatever else. But uh, I always talked to him about how scary, how scary it was to drive a bus. And just, you know, this, this massive machine, you know, and I, I, was, I wasn't even driving a car yet. Um, and so the, the thought of driving a bus, I, always, I would stand up there and talk with him as, after we dropped all the kids off. And he said, it's not that hard. It's not that difficult. And at that time, I was actually taking flying lessons. And uh, I was flying planes, and I had done solo hours and everything else. And he's like, if you can fly a plane, you can drive a bus, you know. But the thought of driving a bus to me was way more scary than flying a plane or driving a car or anything else. And then I got my CDL to drive a bus, and the first time I got behind the wheel, I was scared to death. I thought I was going to hit everything. Backing up was a nightmare. I mean, just this long, massive bus. But then the more I did it, and the more I got used to driving, it's the, it's the same as driving a car now. I don't even think twice about it. I just get behind the wheel and drive if I have to. Because I became an established driver. I became an established driver. I had that confidence because I knew what I was doing. And that God is able to establish you in the same way. He's able to make you strong. You may be struggling with your temper, for example. But it, it, if you put your boots on and start taking steps to face the problem, he'll work his power through you and he'll help you through those things. Now, there's a huge number of other things that we deal with every single day in our lives, right? For some, it might be a temper. For some people, it might be a bad attitude. For some, it might be a, a foul mouth. For some, it might be things you're looking at, or whatever it happens to be. We all face things in our lives that are difficult, that in some ways we say, boy, I've been fighting this thing for most of my life. There's no way that I can ever get through this. There's no way that I can ever get victory over this. But the Bible makes very clear that God wants to establish you. He wants to give you that strength to overcome those things. He'll work his power through you, and he will establish you. You, don't have to, you won't have to fight the same battle every day of your life. 
Right? This, is, this is not to make us overconfident in our ability, but it's to give us confidence in God's ability to help us through those things that we're going to face. Help us through those things that we fight against. Help us through those things that we desperately need help with. Let this be your prayer. God, make me strong. God, make me strong. Paul repeats here in Romans 16 what he addressed over and over again in the book of Romans. We don't live by our power. We live by God's power. We're not saved by our own goodness. We're saved by the goodness of God. We don't live to serve ourselves. We live to serve him by serving others. Right? Romans is a testament of faith in action. It tells us what to believe and how to live out those beliefs. And we have a, a huge uh, a set of examples there in Romans 16 of all of those who are doing exactly what Paul just said to do in the book of Romans. You know the Romans road. Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 6, Romans 10. All the verses that we look at that show us very, very plainly that it's not of our own power, it's of God's power. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. We can't do anything to live a, a, a victorious Christian life aside from the power that God gives us. But make no mistake, God wants to give you that power. God wants you to have victory in your Christian life. God wants you to live that victorious Christian life. What an example we find in the Old Testament of the, of the children of Israel as they wandered through that wilderness. It's them lost, trying to do things in their own strength. right? And then they crossed over the Jordan River. The Jordan River... And, and we hear this in so many songs, is not an example of crossing into heaven, right? We don't fight battles in heaven. We don't make mistakes in heaven. No, the, 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 the example that we find of the children of Israel crossing over the Jordan and into the promised land is a victorious Christian life. Does it mean that all of a sudden all your problems go away? Absolutely not. They had to fight battles. They lost in some places. Right, look at the defeat that they had at Ai after they had the wonderful victory in Jericho. Right, we are going to face mistakes. We are going to face defeat from time to time. But they conquered the promised land because they did it in the power of God. And the more they relied on God's power, the more God gave them victories that, humanly speaking, were just not possible. And that's exactly what God wants us to do today. He wants us to live that victorious Christian life through his power. Christian who lives by the book of Romans is an extraordinary person. And you can be that person. Make this your prayer. God, use me. Use me more. God, work through me. And God, make me strong. I'm not trying to say that you're an extraordinary person because whatever. But you are in the power of God. God wants to use you to accomplish everything that he wants to accomplish in your life. From, from before you were born, God knew you were going to live. God knew there was going to be a you. God knew the day, God knows the day that you're going to die. We don't. God does. Which, to me, means there is absolutely nothing that we have to be afraid of. A lot of people will say, well, I'll do what God wants me to do, but I'm not going to Africa as a missionary. I'm not going to end up in a boiling pot somewhere. Listen, if that's the day that God wants you to die, you'll die in your couch in your living room if that's the day that you're going to die, or you're going to die in a boiling in a pot in Africa. You might as well go do what God wants you to do. There's nothing to be afraid of. God knows the moment that you're going to die. And not only that, but God knows 
every single thing that he wants you to accomplish in your life. And I think there's going to be a lot of us that get to heaven and realize that there was so much more that God wanted us to accomplish. But because we felt inadequate, or because we said there's no way that God can use me, or because we just tried to do it in our own power instead of trusting in his power. And I think there's going to be a lot of things that God wanted to do with us, and that God wanted to do through us, that are going to be all lined up on a shelf. And we're, I don't know if we're going to be able to walk into a room in the mansion that he gives us, and all those things are going to be there. I don't know. But, but I think that God's going to reveal someday everything that he had for us to do. And I wonder how many of us are going to have to hang our heads in shame and say, wow, God wanted to do all of that through me, and this is all I accomplished because I was afraid, or because I wasn't willing to sell out for God, or because I was trying to do it in my own strength, because I had the wrong motives, because I wanted people to look at me instead of using it to point to the glory of God. God wants to use you. God can use you, but we have to be in a position where, willing, where we are willing to let him do it. God, please use me. God, please, please work through me. And God, please give me the strength to do it. I want to accomplish everything in my life that he has laid out from the beginning of time for me to accomplish. I don't want to leave anything on the shelf. but we have to do it God's way. And when we do it God's way, he'll use you in a great way. And through his strength and through his power, that's what makes you extraordinary. That's what made all these people, as difficult as their names are to pronounce, that's what made all these people extraordinary to the point where God said, you know what? They need to be mentioned in my book. They were just common, ordinary, everyday people just like you and just like me. And God used them because they were willing to be used in his service. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for being willing and wanting to use us. We know who we are. We're nothing, especially compared to you, especially compared to your holiness. And God, so often we feel so inadequate and we allow the feelings of inadequacy to hold us back from being what you want to be in and through us and doing from what you want to do in and through us. So God, I pray that where our attitudes need to be adjusted, I pray that you'd help us to adjust them to fit with what you want us to do, how you want us to think. God, we're not doing these things so we can get our names written in some history book somewhere. But I have a feeling that all of those people that were mentioned in the book of Romans... We're not doing it so that their names could be written in there either. They were doing it for your glory. And you used them in an extraordinary way because they were willing to be used in whatever capacity you wanted to use them. So God, I pray that this is an encouragement to us this morning, but where we need to make steps, where we need to take steps, to move back into a place where you can use us and to move back into a place where we do have your power, I pray that you'd help us to do it. We thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As I mentioned, this is the, the, the message was really meant to be more of an encouragement, not necessarily a, uh, a, a conviction to you, but maybe, maybe God 
did speak to your heart about some things that you need to do differently. Some things that you need to do that would put you in a position for God to be able to work in and through you. Maybe you've got some sin in your life that you need to get right. Whatever it is, whatever it is, if God spoke to your heart this morning, we're going to have a time of invitation as the piano plays, you can come.